We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Second Chronicles chapter 14, and we begin reading in verse 1. It says, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. And Asa did what was right, what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, and broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. You know, what a blessing that we get to study the Bible, man. That we get to study the Word of God. Um, that we get to learn about uh, someone like King Asa. And the Bible says these things were written for our own admonition. You know, these things were written for us today. And, you know, in studying his life, we're going to learn a lot of lessons. I think that uh, you guys are going to be blessed in Asa's life. I actually wanted to do three chapters tonight, but, you know, I just, I just thought that, you know, one chapter is just jam-packed with so many principles that... You know, tonight, uh, Lord willing, we might even get out a little early, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you guys know that we're learning from the kings of Israel. Um, first there was Saul, then there was David, then there was Solomon, then there was Rehoboam, then there was Abijah. And then after Abijah, we come now to Asa. And so you learn from all these guys. Huh? Did you guys learn from Saul? You guys learned from the life of Saul? How about, how about, how about Solomon? We learn from his life. And David, we learn from his life. You know, all these guys, there are lessons. And one of the things that I was thinking about today, I was like, Lord, praise God that we are a Bible-teaching church, that we teach through the Bible. We don't do topical studies. We go from Genesis to Revelation. Every once in a while, we will. But what, we've, what I've found is that when you're just teaching the Bible, it's not the pastor who gets to, you know, choose his hobby horse or, hey, this is what... I want to emphasize, no, it's what God teaches through his word and every scripture, all scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so, 
you know, I'm, I'm just so blessed that I was saved in a Bible teaching church. They taught me from Genesis to Revelation, and I still get to be a part of a Bible teaching church. Because I tell you what, you're going to learn lessons from all these guys, even guys that maybe you didn't realize you would learn lessons from. And so in this right here, we see again in verse 1, Abijah rested or he passed away with his fathers. They laid him to rest. They buried him in the city of David. And it says, Then Asa his son reigned in his place, and in his days the land was quiet for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now, in going through the kings, it's interesting. You're going to find... Uh, sometimes, you know, it's a good king, overall good, but he has his flaws, just like all of us do, right? Overall, a good life, but maybe some flaws. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see in the kings, overall bad, maybe a couple of good things. With Asa, we see an overall, he's a good king, but we're going to learn lessons in which he may not only you know, grave mistakes, but we're going to see tonight he actually did some things that were right. Now, it's interesting to note the volume of the first 10 years. Notice there, the Bible says at the end of verse 1 that in his days the land was what? Quiet. It was quiet for 10 years, right? You see the same thing over at the end of verse 5. It says, and the kingdom was quiet under him and you'll see that from time to time when you have good leaders not an overall not always but you know there's a general sense of a quietness when you have good and godly leaders this is spoken of for example in first timothy chapter 2 if you guys remember paul said therefore i exhort first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You know that, that we as a nation, that we as a people, that we as a society would have that rest, would have that peace, would have that, what the Bible describes as quietness. How does it happen? Does it happen when you elect good men? Well, that's part of it. But the primary way that happens is when you pray for them. And that's why it's interesting how Paul would even say to Timothy, the pastoral letter, first thing I want you guys to do, you as a church, is I want you to pray for them. Pray for your leaders. Pray that God would lead our leaders. Pray that God would save our leaders so that the society can benefit from that. You know, when you think of the quietness described in verse 1 and there in verse 5, it primarily means a peace as opposed to war, and therefore rest, uh, as described, notice there in verse 6 again. It says, And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. And so with King Asa, it was quiet uh, for 10 years. And I think a large part of, of that is because of what we read in verse 2. Notice again, it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Asa did what was right. 
No, not just in the, in the eyes of men, okay? He, he did it what was right in, in God's eyes, not just on the outside, but on the inside, not simply superficial or artificial habits. We can all go through the motions. No, it was in the depths of his heart where, where God looks at. Did you guys know that when God looks at you, he doesn't really, you know, it's not really like, you know, your hairstyle for the day or, or how you did your makeup or, you know, whether even or not you floss your teeth or stuff like that. You know, when God looks at you, he's not saying, oh, are they good looking or, you know, how, that kind of stuff. Not, not in the way that we see people. When God looks at us, he looks at our heart. He doesn't just see habits. He sees heart. He doesn't see the artificial or the superficial. He sees the real you. He sees not just what everyone else sees in your public show. He sees in the darkness and the quietness of your secret life. And when God saw Asa, it was so cool. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. You know, it's interesting, we're going to go through Chronicles. If you remember, I, I shared with you guys, Chronicles is written from a priestly perspective. Kings are cool, and we know it's the word of the Lord, inspired by God, but it was in one sense merely historical. Chronicles is priestly. Chronicles is very spiritual. And that's why one of the things you'll find emphasized in First and Second Chronicles is the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord is found three times in this book, Second uh, Chronicles 14, verse 2, and Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. I love that one. It says, the eyes of the Lord scan to and fro. Right? We'll see it again in chapter 29, verse 6. Not only do we see the eyes of the Lord in this book, but we see the sight of the Lord. We see that 16 times in Second Chronicles. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I think it's helpful to know that you are always living, not just, you know, your, your actions, your thoughts, what your secret conversations are, everything you do in the dark, it's all in the sight of the Lord, right? It helps us in our quest for holiness to remember that God sees everything. Now, some people wonder, well, why is this happening to me? I don't get it. It's, you know, and I'm not saying that every trial is God's discipline, you know, and every struggle you have is because God's withholding reward from you. But I am saying that sometimes that is the reason. And, and you look at your life and you're like, man, well, you know, I, I'm kind of doing things right. You know, you're not. You want to know why you're not really doing things right? Because you're gossiping. Because you're slandering, because you're backbiting, because of the thoughts that you think that you shouldn't be thinking, because of the way that some guys, they lust after chicks. God sees all that. And we need to be a holy people. We need to know, know that God sees everything. God hears everything. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We talked about giving an account last Sunday. We're going to give an account one day. And we're naked before him. He sees everything. And so, you know, when you look at this right here, it's a pretty impressive thing to say that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. You know, what a blessing to read that 
that's what God saw when he looked at Asa. You know, what, uh, what, what we kind of see in Asa, we're going to uh, go through this, is that when God looked at Asa, one of the things he saw him doing is that he was cleaning. He was cleaning house. He was cleaning up the country. He was cleaning out the chaos. He was cleaning. We're going to see that as we go through here. You know, wouldn't it be cool, parents, if you went home and you saw your kids cleaning? Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Has that ever happened? (laughs) I'm sure it has, right? Cleaning, you know. One of the things I've noticed is whenever there's a new work, there will always be those things that need to go. Because it's a new work. Things need to go. The removal of anything that has to do with altars of foreign gods, the, the high places are mentioned here, sacred pillars, wooden images, you know, those things that don't belong. And it might be something you see visibly. You know, for some of you here, maybe when you got saved, you got rid of the statue of Mary. How many of you guys did that? Or when you got saved, you didn't need the scapular anymore, or that rosary, you took it off your mirror, right? You got rid of those things, right? You got rid of those things, sometimes they're visible. Man, out goes the beer, out goes the drugs, down the toilet, you burn the Ouija board, the dirty magazines, they don't belong. Out go those things, right? Basically, what you see is you put off the old man, and you put on the new man. And that's a biblical principle that we really need to have a good grip on. Before we can get on our clean clothes, you know, those beautiful clothes of righteousness, not just positionally, but practically. And you guys know what it is to see someone, they're all dressed up, maybe it's a wedding, and they just look, they just look amazing. But before they can get there, they got to get rid of their dirty clothes. You know, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that now you yourselves are to put off, put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You know, some people hear the very first word, you have not put it off yet. You're still an angry person. You think God's going to bless your life the way that he wants to? No, he won't, because you're still an angry person. And you just go down the list right here, you know, the, 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 the filthy language. I can't believe some Christians, the, the garbage that comes out of their mouth. You haven't put it off yet, right? I mean, sometimes the reason that person is off is because they refuse to put off the old man. What does that mean? They refuse to repent. I'm telling you this, man. If you want to see God do a new work, you have to go through your house with a white glove, and anywhere there's dirt that doesn't belong in God's house, you clean it out. You get rid of it. That's what Asa was doing. He was cleaning house. It's an important principle. As a matter of fact, Leave your marker here and go over to Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 20, it's a long section here, but maybe you'll see something on the list that hits home. Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off 
concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place or opportunity to the devil. Let him who still still no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. You see, I mean, you want to be a person of truth, so you have to put off the lies. You want to be a person of generosity and giving, then you have to put off the taking, you know? I mean, it's just, it's the principle in the Bible that we find so clear. He says in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. How many of us sometimes, even in you know a church, a Bible teaching church, you say things that are corrupt, and that means that you say things to hurt other people. They're, they're destructive. They tear them down. It's your way of manipulating. It's your way of moving and making people do what you want them to do. And you speak words that are, that are the opposite of building them up. You're tearing them down. And that's part of the reason you're not being able to speak words that build them up because you haven't repented of speaking words that tear them down. Do you understand that? I mean, I'm not talking about the, you know, you, you, you know, man, you're trying to say that I can't correct. No, you can correct, but how do you correct? You know, it has to do with words that would actually be effective, words that it would actually be spoken in a way that would be beneficial. Let no corrupt, rotten word that goes against building someone up, don't let it ever come out of your well, your mouth. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to put off the old man. He says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, you got any bitterness? Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, here it is again, be put away from you with all malice. Here it is. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Who are you? What right do you have not to forgive those that have hurt you when God has forgiven you? And that's why a lot of times, you know what? You're not seeing miracles the way that it should take place. And there's like this big you know, wall that's in between you and what God wants to do. So, you know, back in in 2 Chronicles, what we see Asa was doing, verse 3, he removed the altars of the foreign gods, the high places. He broke down the the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images. In verse 5, he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. You know, he took things out. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, sometimes the, we, we see 
is that God is calling us to clean house, out with the trash and in with the treasure, right? God help us to put off, you know, mere habit and to put on heart. God help us to put off religion and to put on relationship. God help us to put off seeking the Lord superficially and to seek the Lord sincerely. You see, this is what Asa did, and he led with passion. Look at verse 4. Isn't it kind of cool? He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and, and the commandment. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, I kind of I wish you guys would do this, you know? It was like, no, it was a command. I mean, imagine if, that, that if, our, if our president, you know, some national leader commanded the citizens of his nation to seek the Lord, you know? And that, I don't know if we can necessarily do that. You know, I know Israel was a theocracy, and that means they were governed by God, and so clearly they could command. There's no doubt about it. And I also know that if you are a Christian and you're the head of your house, I believe you can command those that live in your house to seek the Lord. And if they don't want to seek the Lord, go somewhere else. As for me and my house... We will seek the Lord. We could command our children, those that live under our house, to do that. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get saved. But it means that they've got to be in church. It means that there has to be, you know, there's no, like, sin in my house. I'm not going to allow that in my house. We can command them. You know, as a, as a theocracy of a nation, as a theocracy in a house. And I love the passion that Asa had. He could do this, right? He commanded them to seek the Lord. And again, we're going to see this frequently in Chronicles, and we see it even in the Bible as a whole, right? You find the word seek 15 times in the book of Second Chronicles as God calls his people to seek him wholeheartedly. Remember back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7? You guys remember that classic verse? In verse 14, Solomon prayed, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, God says, and pray, and here it is, here it is seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We see it later in Second Chronicles 15, uh, verse 12. Uh, we know Jesus commanded us that as well, right? Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All those things that God wants to add to you. All those things that maybe are in your heart because you were designed to dream that. All those things that God wants to bless you with, they will not be found if you seek those things. They will be found if you seek the king and his kingdom. And that's what you know, is so cool, what Ace is telling them, commanding them to seek the Lord their God and to obey 
his word. You know, are you guys seeking the Lord? Are you really seeking him? You know, I was thinking about this. It can be kind of compared to, uh, let's just say you made a plan to meet someone somewhere. Let's just say it's Disneyland. You guys want to go to Disneyland? You got a hundred bucks, you can go, right? <laughs> Anyways, you tell the one that you love, hey, you know, let's meet in Disneyland. And, and we'll just hang out and we'll talk and we'll be together. And, 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 but let's just say that when you get there at Disneyland, you get caught up in other things. Uh, you know, you uh, go on some rides, you catch a couple of parades, you maybe do some shows, uh, a little shopping, eating, impressed. You get all the signatures of all the different Disney characters, you know. And, and you know, by the time uh, the night is over, you leave Disneyland never having hooked up with the one you went there for in, in the first place. I think that's how it is for a lot of people who go to church or claim to be Christians. They go and they get caught up with all the other, you know, things that you know, for whatever reason, are distracting to them, and they never hook up with the one that they were there to meet with in the very first place. You know, but let's just say, if you go to Disneyland, and you're not distracted by anything that Disneyland has to offer, you go in and you bypass the 40,000-plus people, which is Disneyland's daily average, and not a single one of them distracts you from your mission at hand. You're there to meet up with the one you love, and when you find that one, then you hook up and you can be productive and you can have fun doing the things that the one you love leads you to do. And the key is, is that you do it together, and it's so beautiful, you're just talking all along the way. See, that's how it is when we're seeking the Lord. You know? I mean, it's seeking Him. I thank God for His Word, but Jesus even told the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. I mean, this is how we're going to find out the will of the Lord, and I believe this is how we're going to find the Lord, but make sure you get past the book and you meet the author, right? I mean, it's not just principles. Oh, I want principles to learn, and I want power to live. No, it's a person. It's God that we're seeking. And of course, when you find him, you'll find the word and you'll hear the commands and you'll love his law and you'll want his will. And not only we discover his will, but when you seek the Lord, it's then and only then that you have the strength to do his will. And this is where Asa was. And as a result, he and the people experienced a period of peace and quiet and rest. I tell you what, I, I like a little piece of peace, man. <laughs> That'd be nice, man. Sometimes life gets really noisy and, and restless. And there are times we're going to see as we go through our study today that it's supposed to be that way, but not always. There has to be those times of rest, times of quiet. In one sense, times where we catch our breath and then we go on, you see? And, and so, you know, this is where Asa was and so he's in that 10 years of quiet 
Here's a question. What do you do during those 10 years? What do you do during those times when you're not necessarily in a crazy trial or a raging war? You know, what do you guys do? A lot of people put it in cruise control. Okay, wrong thing. Don't do that. You're like, hey, Manny, you know, life is pretty easy right now. I'm having a good time. And, you know, you're not seeking the Lord, you know, with all your heart. Be careful of that. You know, when you're not going through a crazy trial or a tough time or a raging war, uh, first of all, keep in mind that that quiet won't last forever. You guys know that, right? The quiet doesn't last forever until when? Until we're home in heaven. And so thank God for those seasons of uh, so-called serenity. We get a chance to catch our breath. But listen, if you're not in the war, then you need to prepare for the war that's coming. Because it's coming. And that's what Asa did. We read that in verse 7. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and tower gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And then he came up with this amazing army. He had an army of 300,000 men from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin, 280,000 men with those bows and shields as well. They're mighty men of valor. The, that speaks literally of men of heroic courage. And that's what you do when things are quiet. If you're not going through a heavy trial right now, I encourage you to get ready for one, get rooted for one, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, yearn. Learn how to stand strong because the winds and the waves are already on their way to your house. And we need to be ready. We need to prepare for war because the promise of Jesus is that there will be tribulations. Remember John sixteen thirty three. these things are spoken to you that in me you may have peace and the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He promised us, you know, that we're going to go through these hard times. That way, and he gave us the warning, that way when they came, we weren't like, you know, taken back by it. But not only that, that we're ready for it. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I was talking with one person I met today, and they're dabbling with drugs. And, uh, and so, you know, they're in a home now, and I was talking to them, and they have a million excuses, right? And I just said, well, here's the, the end of the day, here's the thing. I'm here, and I know you were like trying to reach out to these people who are doing drugs and stuff, and you think like you're going to save them and stuff, and what ended up happening was you started doing drugs. And so I'm here for you. I don't want you to go to hell. It's a, it, that's the battle that we're in, right? So you have to put on the armor of God because your eternity is at stake. And that's what he's saying right there. He's, you know, getting ready. Paul says, man, we got to put on this armor so that when the day comes and the devil hits you, you're going to stand. Because some guys, they can't take a punch. I've seen it on YouTube. 
the little guy hits the big guy, and the big guy falls, and you're like, what happened? It's because he couldn't take a punch. Sometimes it happens to Christians. They don't have their armor on. You don't have your armor on. And so the devil is in this wily war, right, to take us down. You know, it might even be an attack that, that, that seems overwhelming. And sometimes those days are, 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 you know, tough. I believe they're called the evil day. There are those days where it's even more crazy. Look at verse 9. It says, And then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power to help us. O Lord God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover. It was just such a great victory, for they were broken before the Lord. And whose army? His army, right? And they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock, enclosures, and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. Imagine that, you guys. Um, not only do you have like hundreds of tanks or whatever chariots coming against you, but you have a million men coming against you, right? What do you do? What would you do if there was a million men coming against you? Well, the first thing that I think we might be inclined to do is surrender, right? You might reason it's better to live as a slave than to die as a soldier, well, remember this, you know, all men die, but not all men live. And what we want to do is we want to live for the Lord. You know what that is? Those are Christians that walk by fear. There's a million men. There's a mountain that needs to be moved. There's a mission. There's a ministry. There's a family member, whatever the case might be. You know what they do? They surrender because it just looks so overwhelming. And God is just saying, you know, don't run to God and tell him how big your, your mountains are. You run to your mountains and tell them how big your God is. But those are people, and they you can find them. They're all over the church. They function by fear. The, the second thing that we might do is to run to the battle hastily, right? And you do it on your own strength, and you make decisions like that. And, you know, what ends up happening is you do things, you know, the human way, the logical way. There's a battle. There's a million men. We better, you know, do and And you don't really seek the Lord. The first set are Christians who walk by. They're, they're, they're fearful Christians. 
And the second set, the ones that do it hastily and they just do it logically and they just do it humanly, are the fools. They're the foolish Christians. See, we can function you know, with fear and we can be fools, but what is God calling us to, to live in? Faith. Faith. And that's what Asa did, right? Here we see the right thing to do is to always make sure you've checked in with God, that you've cried out to the Lord in prayer, making sure that you're relying on Him. You know, and the thing that I, I, if I, if one thing, we could get one thing out of this study, it would be if we could be a praying people that would cry out to God, oh man, how awesome that would be. You know, Lord, it's nothing for you to accomplish your will, whether we have, you know, a big amount of people, a small amount of people. As a matter of fact, here I am, Asa says, as one man weak and without power, praying against a million-man army. Help us, Lord. And at the heart of his prayer is really cool. Lord, we rest in you. All this is for you, and that's very important. It's for you, Lord. It's for your glory. And so please do not let man prevail. And what ends up happening is we cry out with the right heart for the right reason, then God will give us the right answer. You know, James says sometimes we don't have because we don't ask, right? And and so, you know, I don't know if you guys can see that at the end of the day, praying to God means trusting in God. Asa knew that a million men was nothing for the Lord. We see that in verse 11. I mean, do you believe that? You know, I pray that you, that you would. Genesis 18, 14, Jeremiah 32, 27, Jeremiah 32, 17. I like that. Genesis 18, 14, life is not too hard for God. Sarah's old. It's okay. Life is not too hard for God. Jeremiah 32, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, I don't know if I should do this. You know what we find in Jeremiah 32? Freedom is not too hard for God because all the children of Israel were in Babylon. You mean to tell me they're going to get free? Yeah, because nothing's too hard for God. Life's not too hard for God. Freedom's not too hard for God. You might know someone today who's in bondage. God can set them free, right? Luke one thirty seven it says, For with God nothing is impossible. And what's that all about? That's about when Jesus came. When Jesus came. Life is not too hard for God. It's not. Freedom is not too hard for God. It's not. Salvation is not too hard for God. And that's when our Savior came to save us from our sins. Never forget that. For your own life and the life of your loved ones. But we need faith. We need to pray. And times we need to fast. We need to ask God for wisdom. We need to have a praying life. You know, and looking at these things is interesting. And I'll close with just a couple of quick things. I think I started late. That's why I didn't finish early. Just to let you know. Um, the other day I was reading a book because I just am so hungry for God to help me in my prayer life. And I'm reading books on prayer. And so I'll read a little chapter and then I'll, and I'll spend time in prayer. 
And uh, this one chapter I was reading was the 15th chapter of a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And, and it's so cool. In the chapter of the book, he talks all about asking, asking, asking. And he says in John chapter 14 through John chapter 17, I mean 16, uh, Jesus says to ask. Seven times he says to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Ask that my Father may be glorified. Ask, and you're going to bear much fruit. He just kept saying, ask, ask, ask. And I'll give you the answers when you pray in my name. It's so beautiful, you know? And so I read that, and I was all stirred up, right? And I spent time in prayer, and then I went to do my Bible reading for the day, and you'll never guess where I was. John chapter 14 and forward. And I was like, whoa, Lord, I didn't even know that. You're cool, Lord. Very personal, right? You know? And, and the thing is this, you know, when you look at that right there, we don't need a sign. We don't need some personal confirmation. But every once in a while, God will do that because he is so gracious, right? And he just says, Manny, I want you to ask. You know? What are you supposed to ask for, though? What are you supposed to ask for? You know, I was thinking about Almani. I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's the 51st uh, largest city in California. It's a pretty big city. There's uh, 115,708 people. And so when I saw the Lord defeat a million, I said, Lord, I ask for every single one of them. Because this is where you call me to. And I remember when you called me to Almani, you said, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. For in its peace, you will have peace. He says there in Jeremiah 29, 7, and pray to me for it. So I asked for all the people. I I was asking for Cambodia. There's 15.14 million people there. I was asking for Mexico. Those are the places that we're kind of involved in, 122.3 million. And, of course, for our nation. You know, and we ask the Lord. You know, real quick, let me give you seven things to ask for. You, you don't have to write them down. You just have to memorize them. Okay? Number one, ask that you might live a life that's right in God's sight. Ask that you might live a life that's right in God's sight. I read something the other day. I said a lot of people, they talk to themselves. They try to talk themselves into changing. And that's, that, that's part of it. But why not talk to God and ask him to help you change? Number two, ask that you might remove everything that doesn't belong in your life. Sometimes you don't even know what it is. Psalm 139 says, search me and try me and show me anything that needs to go. Number three, ask that you might seek God with all your heart. We read that in verse 4 and verse 7. Next, I'm sorry, this is number four. Ask that you might obey God with all your heart. We read that there in verse 4. And to observe the law and the commandment. I mean, these are just basic things, right? Number five, ask that you might have rest or quiet, perhaps for a season, Number six, ask that you might be built up and prosper, perhaps in that time of rest, right? Because if you're not going through that war, 
Know that the war is coming and you need to build yourself up in your most holy faith. And then number seven, when that battle rages, it doesn't matter if it's a single giant like Goliath, that's one man, or a sight for sore eyes, you know, like Bathsheba, that's one woman, or for you gals, it might be a Bathheba, right? Either way. Someone said this to me the other day, you're only one decision away from disqualifying yourself. One decision. It could be a Bathsheba, it could be a Bathheba, or it could be a million men. It doesn't matter if it's one man or a million men. Ask God to teach you to trust Him so that as you cry out to Him as Christians that he would give you the victory. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, man, yeah, I've been praying and you know, I don't really see it happening. And let me just say this to you. And this doesn't probably apply to all of you, but I think it probably applies, no offense, to most of you. You might be praying but you're not crying. That's why. That's why. Asa did what? He cried out to the Lord. You know, the other day we were blessed to have a whole bunch of uh, rugrats over our house, kids, you know, families, people, things going on all over the place, man. I just, you, know, you got noise, you got TVs and games and music and just all this kind of stuff going on, right? But it, the thing that I noticed is that whenever one of those little kids cried, it was like all of a sudden, boom, everyone runs to him. They run to her. They run to the one who's crying and I just think that's the way it is with the Lord as well you guys um, you know life as a Christian is not that complicated fellowship the word prayer uh, evangelism you want to do those things obedience those basic things with excellence and so as we pray my prayer is that we we would cry and if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you're not a Christian Maybe you're here and, you know, you're like, man, I, I need God in my life. He's here for you. He's here for you. You're just a prayer away from forgiveness and freedom because Jesus died for you on the cross and they put him in a grave and he rose three days later. He conquered death. And the Bible says that if you would repent of your sins, Turn from your sin, be willing to let it go, and trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you will be saved. You know, the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is your, is your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. And so if you're here today and you want that, you want salvation, I pray that you wouldn't leave without making a decision to follow Jesus Christ, okay? So don't go out that door if you don't have the Lord. You talk to somebody. You talk to one of us or 
you know, maybe the person that, you, that brought you here tonight, and you tell them, tonight, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't know if you guys knew this, but tonight um, is the first night of the NBA Finals. Yes, I don't know why I told you that, because to me, it's a significant day, you know? A lot of people are hey, man, are you still going to have church? Well, of course I'm going to have church, you know? And then, uh, did you guys know this, that tonight is national, today is actual National Donut Day? It's crazy, huh? The things that they have uh, on days. <laughs> You're like, man, these are big days, you know? Um, NBA Finals, you know, National Donut Day. But imagine if you got saved today. Oh, man. You guys, the Lord loves you. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ, today could be the most wonderful day in your life. Today. I pray that you would give your life to him. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, just uh, the things that I know you want to do in us. Among other things, Lord, I pray that you would just take all the principles and, and I'm sure things that I didn't even verbalize, but the Holy Spirit spoke to hearts because you're our teacher and that you would just give us that conviction, not just to hear the word, but to do the word and, and Lord, bring you glory and honor. But I, I pray, Lord, in the midst of all that, that we would be a congregation that cries, that we would be a people that, that prays that, Lord, we really would come to that place of repentance, not just from the drugs and alcohol and the porn, although that's part of it, but that we would repent from our feeble and weak and aimless prayer life, that we would seek you the way we're supposed to. Lord, help us. Please, Lord, do a beautiful work in this Bible. We love you, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.